Good to see everybody. Uh, I missed last week, so Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Um, I think just about everybody's been sick this week, haven't you? Like just about all of our families. Um, we're we're between series kind of um, this morning, and so we're going to look at Galatians chapter five. So go ahead and take your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter five. <clears throat> Sorry, let me correct myself. Go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Over this next minute, we're going to actually look at a few different verses in Galatians, and we're going to end up in Galatians chapter 5, looking at one particular passage. But start at Galatians 1 this morning. All right, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Let's start there says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now look at Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I skip down to verse 20 in that same chapter. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, flip over to Galatians chapter 5. This time, look at uh, verse 4. Verses 4 and 5 says, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. That doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. It means they've left the realm of grace or the the guiding principle of of grace in their life. Verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. All right, now let's go down to verse 16 of chapter 5, where it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, this morning, the title of our sermon is Fighting the Flesh. Fighting the Flesh. Um, We've spent the last month or if you're like me, since uh, might be the last two months, uh, starting in November, listening to Christmas music. But we've spent the last month or so celebrating and recognizing the first advent of Christ, his, his birth. But if you're like me, the elephant in the room during the Christmas season, during Christmas time when we're singing Christmas hymns and and even looking at certain passages and scriptures in the Bible, the elephant in the room is that we don't always experience all the grandiose claims that are in certain Christmas hymns and certain things surrounding Christmas time. I mean, if you think about it, he rules the world with truth and grace, okay? And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Does that sound absolutely true today? What nation on earth is actually um, 
displaying or pursuing God's righteousness and his wondrous love. Well, the reason why some of these scriptures seem a little bit unrealistic is because they're not unrealistic, but it is because some of the promises that are in some of our favorite Christmas songs, they actually pertain or are going to be fulfilled at the second advent of Christ. Um, if you think back to World War II, because I'm on this World War II kick still, um, you think of June, June 1944, and you had the, um, the Allied forces invaded Normandy on, in, in June 6th. Um, what happened was they, they co- conquered this territory on the beaches, and they started to work their way inward, starting to drive the Nazis back to Berlin. But it was 11 months later when Victory in Europe Day actually came in May 1945. So there's an analogy here. We, right now, are living between Normandy and VE Day in that we are living between Christ's first advent and his second advent. Okay? If Normandy is the first advent, VE Day is the second advent, we're, we're living in the in-between where, where Christ, by his first advent and, and many of the things that he did, um, began the end for the world system and the end of our flesh and the end of the devil himself. But there is still conflict that goes on. Yes, it is finished to tell us die. Jesus paid it all um, but experientially, there is still some, some struggle that happens in the Christian life. So the question is, here we are in the in-between between Christ's first advent and his second advent. How are we to occupy this in-between? How are we to live? What kind of tasks um, has, has God given us? Well, we, we talk about the Great Commission a lot, and we're especially focusing on that as we got, talk about the book of, of Acts. Um, And that's just one of several tasks. See, one of the main battlefronts that we have um, in our Christian life as we occupy the here and now is the battle that is within. Some folks have mistaken, have this mistaken notion that um, the development of Christ-likeness, which is one of the things that we are pursuing in the in-between, uh, some folks have this mistaken notion that the development into Christ's likeness happens by keeping the law or keeping a set of rules. And that this might look like, well, if I keep the Ten Commandments and pursue that, I'll, I'll be fine. But that's not um, exactly what the Bible teaches. In fact, it doesn't teach that uh, at all. I'm not saying you should go out and break the Ten Commandments. Listen closely this morning, okay? Um, but we don't... Um, We don't earn righteousness. We don't become more holy. We don't develop Christ-likeness by keeping the law or a set of rules, whether they be biblical or otherwise. So that brings us to Galatians. The churches in Galatia had been corrupted by false teachers. Um, Specifically, they were teaching... Um, and asserting that legalism um, should be part of 
the gospel, part of the Christian life. So they were asserting legalism into the gospel and the Christian life. And you sit there and you ask, well, Kevin, what is legalism? One of the best definitions I've found is this. Legalism is keeping the law as a means of salvation, sanctification, or self-glory. Legalism, keeping the law, or works, as a means of salvation, sanctification, or self-glory. Now, for the Galatians, the way this legalism looked like is that they were incorporating, trying to mix the Mosaic law from the Old Testament that was given at Sinai, and they were trying to mix the uh, certain rituals and stuff with uh, the dominating principle of grace, with the gospel. Now, certainly, the Old Testament, we've even as, uh, as close as this past summer, I myself preached here and, and you know, taught that we have, uh, the Old Testament still maintains its authority. That doesn't mean we're under the law like the Jews were in the Old Testament, but it still maintains its authority. And there are certainly things that we learn about God, and there are certainly things that guide our lives from the Old Testament. But, ritually speaking, um, as a system of religion, uh, Judaism is obsolete. Um, the, the Old Testament law was something for the Jews. We are not under the law. We're not under the law. As a unit, the law has, has passed. But the Galatians, these false teachers, were teaching that you needed to incorporate certain aspects of the, the law in order to um, develop into holiness or righteousness or whatever. So Galatia, the, the area of Galatia, it was actually not a city. It was a region. It was a wider region. So Paul's actually writing to churches instead of just one church. Um, Galatians is probably the earliest inspired letter by Paul, somewhere around 48 AD. Um, the theme of Galatians is living by faith. Living by faith. Um, I hope that the verses that we read just a minute ago captured that theme for us this morning to see Paul's thought continue through this this epistle. And so when we get to chapter 5, verse 16, what Paul does is he exposes legalism for what it is. And what is legalism? It's a way of indulging the flesh just under the guise of religion. Now, and legalism can take different forms. Some people can observe the law or religious rules, Um, as a way to attain their salvation. They think they're attaining their salvation. They somehow think they're impressing God with their morality. It can also take the form of uh, sanctification by legalism. That is, you become holy by what you don't don't do. Uh, But any way you look at it, and Paul's going to, we're going to see this in this passage, indulging, uh, indulging the flesh under the guise of religion is exactly what legalism does. Legalism is not spiritual. It indulges the old man, our sin nature. But rather than indulging the flesh and abusing our freedom, Paul is going to argue that we must go on in the Christian life by continuing in faith, by continuing in the Spirit. See, the moment that we believed in Christ, that moment, I don't know when that was for you, um, For me, it was likely when I was 19. Um, 
But the moment that I believed in Christ, and you believed in Christ, we were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Holy Spirit does not leave us during this, this life. Um, now, the law is about restraining evil. It's about restraining behavior, keeping you from doing bad things. Uh, it's about maybe conforming your behavior. But the law can't do anything about the heart. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes, uh, comes in. If the law is about just restraining evil, restraining it's a negative thing, the Spirit is a positive thing and about developing actual positive virtues like love, joy, peace, all these things we'll look at in just a second. All right, there's four statements that are going to build upon each other that are going to lead us to the main idea of the passage here this morning. The first statement is that legalism indulges the flesh. All right, trying to earn your salvation or trying to um, uh, incorporate a series of, of laws or rules or something as dominating guides of your life actually isn't going to impress God at all. It just indulges your old man. Um, and we're not just going to get that from verse 16 where it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. If I just took verse 16, verse 16 um, that would be hard to get this idea from, just verse 16. But what we're doing is we're following the whole flow of thought that Paul has, and he is, and he is coming up with this, this truth and that he is arguing that legalism, pursuing the law, um, mixing it with grace, mixing it with the Spirit, isn't going to do anything but indulge the flesh. Okay, Legalism indulges the flesh. Now, in the 20th and 21st centuries, you guys know this, we've seen a lot of cultural change, a lot of cultural change in, uh, in the 20th and 21st uh, centuries. And one way Christians have responded uh, to all of that cultural change at a time was just by blacklisting specific behaviors and trends. Now, in many cases, they were right, <laughs> okay? And it, often, usually, they actually were, were right. But what developed with that, just by blacklisting behaviors, what developed was that many churches and many ministries came up with these formal or informal lists of do's and don'ts that people ended up using to define righteousness. Um, and what happened was that it totally mischaracterized spirituality. Spirituality became what you don't do instead of these character virtues that are produced by the Spirit. Okay? So we're actually going to be looking at real marks of spirituality here, and, the, and it's not keeping the law, it's not keeping certain man-made standards or man-made man rules. Um, it's a development, an inner development of the Holy Spirit that he's, as He produces these positive character traits in our lives. Spirituality is not a list of do's and don'ts because legalism just gratifies the flesh. And what does it do? It breeds P-R-I-D-E. Robert Wilkin said that the focus of the Christian life should be on the commander, not on the commands. Not that the commands are irrelevant, <laughs> 
but the focus, the relational focus, is on the commander himself. All right, so first of all, legalism indulges the flesh. Secondly, the spirit is the one that brings deliverance. It's the Holy Spirit that brings deliverance. All this, these references to the Spirit in Galatians is, is talking about the, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Okay, so verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is actually in the double negative in the Greek. So it's a, uh, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will in no way gratify the desires of the flesh. You will absolutely not gratify the desires of the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. Uh, Verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So Paul talks about this reality that happens in the Christian life. Like, there is not this sinless perfectionism that just comes into our life the moment we get saved. Unfortunately, we still have to deal with this, this old man that Paul calls the, the flesh, all right? And we've all still got it. And there is this inward battle, this inward conflict that is going on. You have the flesh, your old man, your default nature with the things that it wants to do. Um, and then you have the Holy Spirit who is combating. Now, these things are not equal, these things are not equal. The Holy Spirit is God, all right? The, our flesh is uh, inferior to the Holy Spirit in every way. But we understand that the, the flesh is convincing. It is de- deceitful. It is, it is strong in its own way. And this, this conflict exists. We don't have to pretend that the conflict doesn't exist. We don't have to feel shame for the fact that this conflict exists. This is going on in all of our lives, okay? Verse 18, it says, uh, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That is, you shouldn't be pursuing these two different things. The flesh which is going to just, gra- or the, the law or works is going to gratify your flesh and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's two, different, two different things. Don't pursue after both of them. One, one of them needs to have, be the guiding force in your life. Now, the closest thing that I do when it comes to exercise is like walking. I like to walk like an old man, I know. Um, but I like to walk. I walk around my neighborhood. I walk on the Huckleberry Trail. I walk a bunch of different places. The guiding principle for, for my walks that I, I take nearly every day is that I want to go, I want to walk a certain dif- distance each day or a certain amount of steps. That is what guides my decisions and the directions that I take while I'm, wide, while I'm walking. All right? The guiding principle of distance or steps. Our God in the spiritual life, the guiding force in our spiritual life, ought to be the Holy Spirit as he applies God's word. All right? And this requires intimacy with God, and it requires a, a working knowledge um, of, with Scripture. But that's what the guiding force in our life should be. Now, I want you to use your imagination for a second. Um, 
I could have gotten some props and done this morning, but let's face it, I'm a slacker. All right, so use your imagination with me. All right, so I, let's say I brought someone up here and I blindfolded them. And then um, I laid out, to their knowledge, that I laid out uh, about a dozen mouse traps, old school, you know, snap mouse traps on the ground. And I was going to say, okay, walk across this, get to the other side of the platform uh, by trying to avoid uh, these, these, these traps. Um, but I would give them a, uh, a little bit of help by offering two other people from, from the audience to, uh, to guide them one at a time. The first one would be the, the would represent the flesh, all right? The, the one that represents the flesh isn't really worried about self-destruction or harm or anything. It's just going to not pay attention and just lead him right through, and there's going to be six mouse traps sticking to his feet by the time he's done. All right, that's the flesh. The flesh doesn't care about our, our destruction. It doesn't care about our long-term health or whatever because it's deceitful. It's powerful. But let's just say the other person, we would use another person after that, and that second person would represent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit carefully guides that person around, through, around all of these pitfalls, all of these traps. And that's how um, the resource that God has given us in our lives through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this guiding force in our lives that guides us around all this damaging, all this terrible, terrible stuff. And that is if we walk by the Spirit. Okay? So legalism indulges the flesh. Secondly, the spirit brings deliverance. Number three, the flesh produces condemnable works. The flesh produces condemnable works. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So depending upon your translation, there's about 15 or so works of the flesh here that, that Paul um, Paul gives us. Now, this list is not meant to be exhaustive. And we know that by the fact that he, that he says, and such things. Okay? So this is not an exhaustive list of the flesh. There's other things that could be added to this. But he says, as, what, what he's saying is, as we pursue legalism, it's just going to indulge the flesh and produce these kind of things. Because we don't have it within ourselves to please God. We are totally dependent upon the work of Christ and his righteousness, the fact that he went to the cross, died in our place, rose again on the third day. He took our sin when he was on the cross. And that is what we're dependent on. We're not dependent upon our, our good works or our own morality. So there are a number of, of works of the flesh that Paul gives here. And for that reason, it might be helpful to categorize some of these. Okay? Um, so... First, maybe the first category we could call perverted sexuality. What does the flesh produce? 
Well, it perverts sexuality. Look at verse 19. It says, the, the works of the flesh uh, are evident. That sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All these have to do with our sexual lives. Sexual immorality, the word is porneia. Um, we can guess what kind of words that we get from porneia. But what it is, is it, it, it is a broad term for any kind of sexual sin outside of the confines of marriage. Anything would be under that umbrella of, of porneia, any kind of sexual sin. Now, in, in these, this list that Paul gives us, it's kind of hard to decipher um, between some of these because some of these seem very, very similar. Um, and that's kind of what's going on here. He says there's, uh, the works of the flesh are evident, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, Impurity is sexual uncleanness. Um, sensuality is the idea that, that that's all you think about. All your conversations are crass and everything comes back to sexuality. Um, that's a work of the flesh. Sex is a good thing. God gave it to mankind. Um, but it can be perverted, right? Right? And so when it is, that's a work of the flesh. All right, so the, a work of the flesh is um, that it perverts sexuality, but it also corrupts religion. Verse 20, we see these two things here, idolatry and sorcery. We know what idolatry is. It's worshiping anything other than God, which could include your, your own self. And then sorcery has, has to do with um, demonism and... Um, the occult, and particularly at that time, many scholars think it had to do with using mind-altering drugs and stuff that would allow a demonic influence on, on a person. Um, and so that's certainly an application we should keep in mind today of when we use things that can alter our, our minds or alter our behaviors that we could be potentially opening ourselves up um, when we abuse those things. All right, so the flesh, what does it do? Why should we not pursue legalism? Why is legalism not the answer? Because our flesh, it indulges the flesh, which our flesh just perverts sexuality. It corrupts religion. Um, a third category might be here, toxic interaction. Toxic interactions. Um, after sorcery, he talks about enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all of these things are interpersonal behaviors. They are things that happen as we relate to other people. And what does the flesh do? It corrupts, um, it, our, it corrupts all our interactions. And so you can take uh, an inventory of your life. If everywhere you turn and it's toxic toxic relationships everywhere you go, maybe you should stop making a list of all the toxic people around you and look in the mirror. But this is what the flesh does. So if we just pursue our, our works, our own morality, this is what's going to happen, okay? We're just going to indulge our flesh. We're just going to indulge our pride. Um, and then maybe a fourth category would be unrestrained pleasure. Um, or unrestrained appetites. It says um, at the end of, of verse 21, drunkenness, 
and orgies. We know what drunkenness is. Orgies is the, the idea of uh, drinking parties um, un, and the unrestraint that goes along with that. Um, in the New Testament times, it probably had to do with, with idolatry and false religion of like these, these parades that would happen when everybody was drunk um, as they're going down the street, either from a temple or to a temple. Um, but it's this idea of carousing, unrestrained um, drinking party. That's what it is. And it, a reminder for us, all these things, all these works of the flesh, are bad things. I know we're used to, to so many of these things. We're used to them being in our, our workplace, maybe even in our home. We're used to them. But Paul's saying, these are the works of the flesh. These are not good things. And he even says in verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things, it's in the present tense. So what this means, this is not talking about an isolated incident. It's not talking about some, some time in your life where you make a mistake, you sin, but you repent and confess and have a restored relationship to God. It's talking about the regular habit. These things should not be the regular habits or behavior of Christians. And if it is, he says, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to participate in the, the, the coming kingdom that Christ has on this earth. And there's only one other alternative to that. So if professing believers live like unbelievers and always indulge the flesh, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because if believers habitually live like unbelievers, it reveals that they're not really believers. And so legalism, pursuing legalism, isn't going to do anything but indulge our, our flesh and make us even more vulnerable to these things that are the works of the flesh. Now, remember, the, our context here, Paul's talking about, is he's battling the legalism of combining the law with, with grace. And what has happened is the law, which was a good thing, and even today is a good thing in that it reveals our sin, um, was corrupted. And it's good for us to remember that good things can be corrupted. Nearly anything can be corrupted to gratify our flesh. It can be religion. It can be our own productivity. It can be our relationships. It can be so, so many things. All right? Fourthly, legalism indulges the flesh. The spirit brings deliverance. The flesh produces condemnable works. And number four, the spirit produces godly virtues. The Spirit produces godly virtues. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's like a, you, you can breathe in the fresh air when Paul turns the page here and starts talking about the, these things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law 
So if the flesh, all those things are selfish and contentious, the spirit produces positive qualities. And it's already been seen, and you could already see in Paul's argument that living by faith in what God has revealed in the work of Christ and and continually working, living by faith, that is what provides the basis for ethical living. Because yes, you can you can pursue the law, you can pursue all these works in your in your flesh, and you might do all these things on the outside, but you may be doing them with the motive of look, making yourself look good, impressing other people, and the law cannot get to the heart part. But the Spirit produces, He changes our motives. And so living by faith provides the basis for ethical living. And he gives these things that we've come now to call the fruit of, of the Spirit. Now, works of the flesh, that's plural, works. Now, here we have the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not entirely sure what the significance of that is, but all the commentators make a big deal about it. Works of the flesh versus fruit of the Spirit. And what, is, what are those things that are, are part of the, the fruit of the Spirit? Well, love. Love doesn't really require a whole lot of explanation, does it? It's, it's hard to define, but we know it when we see it, right? We know when love is given to us or we are given, giving love to someone out of a, a pure motive. And in the New Testament, love is just that. It's, it's, not a ma- it's not a feeling that comes and goes. It's not an emotion, but it's a determination to do what's in the best interest of someone else. Love. Joy. We know what joy is. It's this inner quality. Again, another thing that's hard to define, but it's this inner quality that the, the Spirit produces that is uh, perpetual despite our circumstances because it's based on eternal truth and hope. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Patience is the, um, the ability to put up with something or someone. Patience, it's, it's long-suffering. It's, it's a quality trait. It's a character trait. It's part of the nature of God. Long-suffering. Kindness, goodness. Again, some of these things are kind of hard to um, discern what the difference is between them. Kindness is most likely, it has to do with our disposition. Like the kindness of God. It's a, it's a disposition that we have. And goodness are the, the acts that flow out of that. It's active acts of goodness. Faithfulness. What is faithfulness here? It's, it's, it's loyalty. It's the fact that we can be trusted. We can be trusted by God. We can be trusted by others. And who produces that? The Holy Spirit does. Verse 23, gentleness. Sometimes gentleness, this word for gentleness is translated as meekness, um, which is strength under control. But gentleness is a character trait or a um, a product, a fruit of the, the Spirit that's not emphasized a lot in, in Christian circles. Um, 
But gentleness is more than just restraint. That would be patience. But gentleness is a positive character trait of handling situations and people with compassion. Gentleness. And then you have self-control. Again, no explanation really needed there. It's the ability to discipline yourself. If drunkenness or gluttony or any of these other things are works of the flesh, self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, it says... um, At the end of verse 23, it says, Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. So if the the point of the Mosaic law, and even just a principle of having law in and of itself, from God's viewpoint, a purpose of law is to restrain evil. Okay? Well, with the fruit of the Spirit, why would anybody want to restrain any of these? There's no law against any of these things, and the law can't produce any of these things, or no one would even want to restrain them if it, if it could. Because it's self-evident that these are good things. Just like it's self-evident of the, the works of the flesh are condemnable. Verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What we have here in verse 24 is a positional fact. You may not always feel it. But it is a positional fact that occurred at the cross. What this means is that all of the, these works of the flesh, all those things that, that Paul mentioned, and even the things like that, you know what? We as believers, we've left those things behind. In fact, they've been crucified. They were crucified with Christ. And so we should leave them exactly where they belong, on Christ's cross. Leave the indulgence of the flesh, pursuing the work, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All right, so these four statements, therefore, there's a therefore here, all right? Because legalism indulges the flesh, the Spirit brings deliverance, the flesh produces condemnable works, uh, the Spirit produces godly virtues. Therefore, in Paul's argument here, therefore, fight the flesh by the Spirit. Right? There is this, this turmoil, this struggle that's going to go on until the day we die. But the, the way that we get victory over it, it's, it's, it's a received victory that the Holy Spirit produces in our life as we yield to Him and His direction as He illuminates and brings Scripture into our mind that changes our hearts and behavior. Therefore, fight the flesh by living by the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, this could be translated since we live by the Spirit. Um, That is, if we live by the Spirit, if you've gotten spiritual life, the way you got spiritual life was not through your works, it was not through the law, it was through regeneration by the Holy Spirit performing that in your heart. He's the one that birthed us, gave us a spiritual birth. We are born again because of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And so if and since the Spirit is the source of spiritual life, 
It's not God's plan for us to desert faith and the Spirit's work after the initial salvation, all right? God doesn't save us and then say, okay, you're on your own to produce righteousness and to become like Christ the rest of the way. Now, does it take effort? Yes, but we're not on our own to do that. Spiritual life begins and continues by the Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit's work, and we can take no pride in any of that. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, this seems like a change of topic, and it partially is, but he's actually continuing what he began before we started in verse 16, where it says, um, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What he is doing is he's bringing us back into the immediate context Context. The immediate context is personal conflicts. And what happens when we pursue legalism, legalism is only going to breed competition, conflict, and pride. And many of us have seen that. We've seen that in our own lives. Part of my preparation in studying this week is that confession and acknowledgement in my own life where I have pursued legalism or even taught it whether consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously. But legalism breeds competition and conflict because it indulges the flesh. But the Spirit, what does He do? He produces service-oriented virtues. And so when we apply these principles into our relationships, Paul was applying this into the Uh, the application of a church life. But this has application all around us. When we're pursuing just to be good by ourselves, it's just going to produce fleshly results. And so that is true in a church. It's true in a husband or a, uh, a parent and child relationship. It can be true in our marriages. Marriages don't don't crumble because spouses are living by the spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit is dominating a a Christian marriage with love, joy, peace, happiness, um, and both are followers of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in both, um, the marriage isn't going to crumble. But marriages crumble because what happens? There is this part of us that is the flesh. It's a messy world and life that we live in. And so as we indulge the flesh, these are the things that are going to be produced. So it's important for us to remember when we slip up, when we sin and indulge the flesh, even if we think it's a a small act, it's not an act, it's a path. It's not an event, it's a path. And if we're on that path, if you're on that path this morning, cry out to God. Confess that, because the end of that path is very, very ugly. This is God's wisdom, not mine. So there, here are these three huge factors in, in Galatians. Three huge factors. Grace over legalism. Faith over works. Spirit over flesh. 
What are they? Well, grace saves us. And it sustains us in the Christian life. It sanctifies us. Faith in Christ is the means that God has given us for salvation. And the Spirit is the one that produces these godly virtues. So this whole argument in the book of Galatians, Paul is showing the Galatians that it is not wise, it is quite foolish to go down this route of just pursuing the law because ultimately legalism in any form is an indulgence of the flesh. So rather than rules or um, legalism characterizing our lives, these three factors should be the guiding forces in our life. These guide our lives for 2024 and beyond. And these should characterize our lives as we pursue grace, faith, and the Spirit's work in our lives. Um, Would you go ahead and stand to your feet? Bow your head and close your eyes. Kind of a heavy, serious message, I think, this morning. And it may be that, that, that God, God's Spirit is illuminating something in, in your heart. Um, and you realize that, that something needs to change. Maybe it's you need to be saved. Maybe you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Or maybe there's some kind of habit. Maybe there's something mentally, something that you're believing. There's something that you've just been pursuing or something that's got a a, a hold of your life. And God is showing you this morning that something needs to change there. We urge you to never put off um, the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. Never. And so whatever, if God is, is working in your, your heart, in your life this morning, do business with him. Maybe you don't know what that looks like. Maybe you need someone to, to come along and, and, and help you. And there are plenty of people here this morning that can help you with that, that can pray with you, that can counsel with you, that can answer questions. Or maybe you need to be saved this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to open up this this stage this morning just as a time of invitation for you to do business with God. Maybe you need help by talking with someone this morning. We're up here. We're available. So as a leader, as the worship team um, leads us in this song, this is a time of invitation that's open to everyone if you need to do business with God.